This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everybody, to Brown's Film Breakdown, what is now episode 14. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com. Coming at you guys, looking to cover what is to be with the Cincinnati Bengals and Hugh Jackson returning to First Energy Stadium this Sunday for what should be a a relatively important showdown for for the Browns, at least. The Bengals seem to have given up on their season, the IR. If you look at their list of names on the injured reserve, it's pretty overwhelming. And then their season has trended downward for the last five weeks. Coming off a nice win over Oakland, you know, putting their, their current record at uh, six and eight, but it seems to be over for this group. Well, on the other hand, the Browns have plenty to play for, right? They are coming in at six, seven, and one, fighting for a couple different things, trying to fight to get to five wins. It would be a five, two, and one finish, which we'll discuss with our guest uh, coming up here, uh, which would be pretty neat for the Browns to finish with five wins at home, right? They're trying to keep slim playoff hopes alive. They They need some really fortuitous things to happen, including a, a tie in week 17. So playoff hopes are slim, but as Baker Mayfield said this week, if you're not trying to win these last two games, you can get out of the locker room. So they are serious about winning these last two games against, you know, key division rivals. Let's look at the injury report. If we can real quick, uh, big news this week is Denzel Ward will be back. That helps the Browns on the perimeter, helps them cover John Ross, um, which is the, it seems to be the Bengals only, Real wide receiver threat. Tyler Boyd with the MCL sprain appears he might miss the last two weeks. He has trended toward not playing this week with two DMPs uh, for the Bengals. Otherwise, everybody else that has been healthy for the Bengals seems to be trending towards playing. So uh, Vontez Burfick, Joe Mixon, who are showing up on the injury report, uh, all trending toward playing. Like I said, Tyler Boyd's the only name that's not going to play, it seems like. And that's that's pretty beneficial for the Browns because Boyd is, has turned into a really good weapon in the wide receiver position for Cincinnati this year as they've obviously been sidelined without uh, A.J. Green for a good portion of the season, too. On the Browns' side, uh, names popped up this week that you didn't expect. Jabril Peppers with a neck injury. He didn't practice yesterday. He didn't practice the day before. It doesn't appear he's trending toward playing, but uh, much like, you know, uh, Treader, who's been dealing with the ankle, he you know, doesn't practice a couple days a week and then finds a way to play on Sunday. So if Peppers actually missed this game, I'd be I'd be pretty surprised. Uh, Austin Corbett has come back and practiced this week. He is uh, he's been limited, but he is has finally seems to be trending toward uh, hopefully the active roster. Uh, otherwise, nothing of note uh, for the Browns. Like I said, getting Ward back is beneficial. Uh, we'll keep our eye on Peppers, but. Um, from the injury standpoint, the Browns are in much better shape than the Bengals. There is no denying that. So I won't waste any more time covering uh, what we need to cover here with the injury report. Let's cover X's and O's. And to do that, I bring in John Stephenson, 
um, you know, a guy I trust who the last few weeks has been really good for us and giving us a prediction and, you know, what the, the opposition is going to do on both sides of the ball. So we will be right back with uh, John here as we look to give you a preview of what is to come from uh, the Cincinnati Bengals in the rematch. Okay, guys, I'm a believer in the phrase, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think I think John and myself have a pretty good thing going here with film study, X and O preview, and I, I wanted to bring John Stephenson from the OBR back and uh, join me to talk Bengals-Browns round two. How you doing, John? Uh, doing great, doing great. Once again, thanks for having me back. Yeah, man, absolutely. I know that, um, you know, a kid you guys had there at, at Northland just signed with Eastern Michigan, right? Yeah, yeah, just had a uh, sign-in this evening. His name's Mark Lee. He's a uh, cornerback. He's going to uh, expect the big things from him. Great kid on the field, even better kid off the field. Yeah, man, that's the, the ultimate reward, right, as a coach, to mm-hmm. see, see one of your players get that scholarship and all that, man. I'm happy for you, happy for him. It's awesome. It's awesome. All right, let's, uh, let's, talk, let's talk Browns. Um, I, had a, I had sent you a list of questions earlier this week as we took some, some study from, um, you know, sort of rewatching the Browns. And then in that meantime, the, uh, the Bengals have played three games, right? They uh, lost to Denver 24-10, lost to the Chargers 26-21 in a really competitive game, and then um, pretty handedly beat Oakland. So let's talk a couple different topics I think are going to be important in this game. So I'll ask you first, you know, coordinating a defense and coaching as long as you've coached. You know, say you play a Team John Week 8, um, both of you are undefeated, something along those lines. Uh, I'm just trying to think of how a rematch would happen high school football-wise. Then maybe you play uh, them in playoffs. round one. Yeah, round one of the playoffs then, a couple weeks later, three, four weeks later. So what sort of challenges come with playing a team for the second time to you? Well, the biggest thing is, um, and this really holds true when you're playing your uh, your division opponents, is that you, you know each other's tendencies. So everyone... Each, each guy on each side of the ball, you know what the team likes to do with their personnel, what they like to do with the formations, uh, you know, the play concepts, the pass pros, you know, coverages, run fits, you know, all the way down to the little nitty gritty details like technique. So the the difficulty, or maybe difficulty is not the word, but what you really have to, to focus on is self-scouting. So you have to look at you know, what What have we done? What have we shown them? You know, because you just have so much tape on each other. You know exactly what you're going to do. So you have to go back and you have to self-scout and you have to break tendency. And really, that's that's the biggest challenge. It's it's just ensuring that you're you're dressing things up and then you're you're doing, you know, the unexpected. Is the best way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. It seems like every year the Browns play somebody in the division crowded in terms of they play them really bunched together on the schedule this year it mm-hmm. seems to be obviously Cincinnati because they play Pittsburgh week one and week eight so that's a pretty big difference mm-hmm. I know that that was sort of the breaking point for this group but they fired Hugh and Haley after that but um you know Baltimore was what week four week four, four to week 17 so yeah it seems like Cincinnati gets that bunch this year that's a great point though you gotta you gotta self-scout you gotta figure out what you do uh, how you can break that tennis I do expect hopefully we see some wrinkles uh, I think that Kitchens has done a nice job of that, right? You're throwing some wrinkles in it. And it feels like oh, Greg it feels like absolutely. Greg has done some different things defensively. You did a great job of pointing out the rotation they did. Um, you know, bringing I think on that clip you posted, John, they were bringing peppers and rolling to cover two. 
Um, yeah. And, and yeah, they, they did, showed a, they yeah, showed a single. They showed a single high look pre-snap. Yeah. And uh, then they they inverted a uh, a safety and then had I believe it was Avery then make the uh, flat drop you know mm-hmm. to a Tampa two. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was nice to see the uh, the disguise in the rotation because uh, particularly in that part of the field. I believe the ball was uh, around the Browns' uh, 30 yard line or so. Um, Williams just has a tendency to get very static with with his coverages there, particularly when he plays too high. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I noted uh, we did a I did a video on Jannard Avery this week, and they did almost the identical thing against Carolina, but they brought um, they brought the boundary corner and and rotated that way. So it is something they're doing a little bit of, which I think will be good for for slowing down Driscoll, right? So. The, the benefit of the Browns' last game against Cincinnati is they got a little – well, it was actually a little under. Maybe it was a little over a half. I can't remember perfectly clearly, but they got at least a half of football from Jeff Driscoll. Uh, they got tape on him. It's actually been the game that Jeff Driscoll played best in. Uh, since that point, he's mm-hmm. he's thrown for 202, 151, and 123. So he hasn't been as sharp as he was in uh, that opener, and that's, that's as a quarterback sometimes ripping the Band-Aid off and coming in sort of cold turkey. You, you perform better because you think less. So – It'll be interesting. Um, to, I want to get your opinion on this, John. What do you think he does? Obviously, a much better athlete than Andy Dalton. So, mm-hmm. what challenges does Driscoll present to this Browns defense, and and sort of how do they prepare for him this week? You know, in in terms of challenges, um, you you already hit the uh, nail on the head in that he's a he is a much better athlete. Um, you're going to see a lot of read game stuff. You know, like um, Cam Newton so on two weeks ago um, something I picked up from going back and looking at the Bengals last three games is they run a lot of inside zone read stuff with them they really they really like that play mm-hmm. and uh, getting ahead of myself here probably but um, you know Mixon's a uh, he's an outstanding zone runner so it, it fits well with what they do so you know a, a big part of you know what, where it can hurt you is um, obviously in the you know the red zone the third and short type things um, he can you know he can read he can take off uh, he can break contain, you know, from, from a thrown perspective, he's, um, you know, he's, a, he's a mega guy to me. He's not, he doesn't seem to be very accurate, particularly on the long balls, you know, outside the numbers. Um, he seems like he's, he's, he's willing to throw in the middle of the field, but mm-hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't take a lot of shots there. And when he does, they just, they don't seem to go well. I want, I want to say he threw, was it two picks last week? Yeah, no, just, right. just one, but he had a couple just one, of, but he had a couple uh, close ones, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw some when the ball was going downfield. It it didn't look good. Um, you know, for the most part, it seems like his his completions are going to come off um, either play action, or there's there's stuff where they're you know the very obvious throws where they go empty and they have you know mirrored mirrored uh, concepts to each side and they uh, you know he has very clearly defined reads. If you you know you muddy the waters for him, if you again back to the disguise, you uh, you disguise the defense. He's 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 going to make some bad throws. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be paramount to make him play from the pocket. If you lose this game, you want to lose it saying Driscoll beat you from the pocket, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the hill you're willing to die on because if you can't if you can't beat Sam Driscoll from the pocket, then you just you really don't deserve to win a football game. Yeah, I'm with it's, you. I'm with you. He's uh, he's he's just so erratic, and that you know this happens. He's, he he didn't come out as a highly lauded guy. I don't think there's anything <laughs> overwhelmingly positive about him. But like you said, if you if you lose. You know, rush lane responsibility, or you let him break one tackle in the pocket, and all of a sudden you're you're dealing with a guy who is very athletic. He uh, mm-hmm. um, he's one of the more athletic guys. I think he was the number one recruit coming out in 2011. I recall he was. 
Yeah, went, he was he was supposed to be the next Tim Tebow at Florida. Yeah, he went to Florida the same year Brissett went there, right? They both mm-hmm. went, and then they mm-hmm. both he went to Tech, and then Brissett went to yep. uh, NC State, right? NC State, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So good stuff. Um, I think that yeah, that'll be paramount because you talked about Joe Mixon. Uh, I think he's on fire lately, right? He's over a hundred, yes. hundred and some yards his last two games, three touchdowns. You you talked about it briefly there. What what scheme do they use most frequently with him and and uh, sort of his running style? What do you think, man? Um, you know, scheme wise, um, you're going to see, you know, you're going to see from the shotgun, you know, the standard spread stuff, um, lots of inside zone with, um, with Driscoll reading the uh, M man line of scrimmage, whoever that may be, you know, mm-hmm. with the option to pull the ball, you're going to see the RPO game out of that, um, under center, it's more, uh, you know, more outside zone, um, ISO, um, kick, that kind of thing, <clears throat> pardon me. But, um, you know, it, it, nothing that the team hasn't seen before there's the, and it isn't a very, sort of looking for here the the running game it, it's there's not a lot of variety to it and it isn't dressed up like say the panthers from two weeks ago with all the extra motions and shifts and so on mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty straightforward yeah the browns have run two straight weeks of pretty sound run defense right they held uh mm-hmm. held denver and Absolutely. philip Lindsay and royce freeman to right around 30 some yards and held uh carolina right they kept it kept mm-hmm. McCaffrey right about 100 so it'll be interesting to see if they keep that success going i think the more they uh they play that front that sort of kick front and have Gennard playing off the edge opposite mm-hmm. Miles. I think that's that's where they're best, and they sort of have found a groove doing that. So that will be interesting. I think that that keeping Joe Mixon bottled up. I mean, the Bengals are sort of limited. I haven't I haven't heard. I don't know. Maybe you have heard um, what what's going on with Tyler Boyd. He's had the knee injury. I'm not sure if he is cleared to play. I know that there was a practice earlier this week where. Uh, Ross, John Ross didn't practice. He wasn't out there with the helmet, so they were really, they were really yeah. sort of uh, concerned about the availability of those guys. But I'm not sure. Have you heard anything on that front? All, all I've heard as of now is they're um, they're all questionable. Ross is questionable, uh, limited participant. Mixon is actually questionable. I, I've all he's expected to play. Um, what am I missing here? Boyd wasn't on the field at all. He's going to be done. I mean, they're they're getting down to the uh, the back end of that receiving core there. Yeah, I do know that it's I think it was December nineteenth was the tweet that I saw, so that's a couple days ago. I don't know. If Tyler Boyd plays, he's pretty he's pretty dang good. He had a good game first time they played. Um but if the Bengals miss Boyd and they miss John Ross, names that they're going to throw out there, Alex Erickson, Cody Core, Auden Tate, and Josh Malone. So uh yeah. <laughs> if you look at the yeah, Bengals if that's... you look at the Bengals injury report, it's pretty it actually almost takes up my entire webpage, which is rather astounding. It's uh, <laughs> it's unique, right? I mean, right now they're showing Tyler Boyd is out um, on, on Pro Football Reference, which I think is pretty solid in terms of what they think of the MCL spring. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. John Ross is probable. He he plays, but I, I you know John Ross is a speed guy. Looks like Denzel Ward's back. They'll match up pretty well. So um, yeah. He's so boomer bust. He's a guy that's not gonna not gonna beat you over the course of a game, not on his own. Yeah, I'm with you 100. So let's let's switch to the other side here, John. Um, I want to talk Drake Kirkpatrick's comments. Right, pretty interesting comment that I I just found to be very uneducated in terms of watching not not just watching your game against Baker Mayfield, but watching his entire performance. I, I he said that in the midst of his comments about what Baker Mayfield does well, he mentioned. Mayfield is short. He doesn't play from the pocket with much accuracy. We have to keep him contained so we have a good game plan. Do you see 
you know, I know you focus more on defense than offense, but do you see challenges, or I shouldn't say challenges, it's just I should say deficiencies from Mayfield's game within the pocket? No, no, not at all. Particularly as a rookie, I think he's he's phenomenal in the pocket. His uh, his awareness, um, you know, his ability to move to slide, um, it's it's already um, above average in my opinion. And he's played, you know, what nine nine games, ten games. Where am I at here? He's actually played Something twelve. Like which 12 I screwed games. this yeah. up on a podcast earlier this week, man. And I'm yeah. like, wow, he's actually played There's twelve one. games. That's wild. Well, Point still stands. He's played twelve games, and he are, he are, he just he navigates it like a pro. I'm I'm not quite sure where. Uh, Rodre is pulling that from, but yeah, I, I would disagree with that statement. And uh, you know, as an aside, um, even even if you feel Baker does, even if he would, he seems he's, he's the last guy that I would come at like that because you know that he's just going to eat that up and spit it right back out. That's just motivation for the man. Yeah, no, I I, yeah. I would agree with you one hundred percent in terms of I, that's one guy's buttons I wouldn't push. And you mm-hmm. know, as Mayfield is, is finds any niche he can for motivation, that is. Um, how that manifests itself will be very interesting to see if six goes after him personally. Because I just yeah, just know just knowing him, I think it'll be interesting. But you know, in my mind, thought about why Kirkpatrick might say that. There were a couple plays, three plays that came to mind uh, from the first Bengals Browns matchup. Uh, Mayfield first touchdown. He rolled uh, off of a dig route. He rolled to his left and found Antonio Callaway in the back. So Callaway was running his dig from left to right. Uh, Mayfield actually pushed out of the pocket to his left and hit Callaway after he turned back inside towards the left pylon. Uh, so that was out of structure. He had a nice ball to Higgins, middle of the field. They were in an empty set, and Higgins kind of ran a They call it wide juke. Um, he's probably not aligned in the technical Y position there since it's five wide, but um, sort of a middle route where you stop, you hesitate, put a little move on right over the quarterback at about five yards, and then you can sort of go wherever you want. They give wide receivers leeway to to find soft spots in zone, and Mayfield worked to his left again, stepped up and slid left and hit him for about a 25-yard gain. And then the the last touchdown in the third quarter there off of the uh, Dalton interception to start the third quarter, they um, – no, that was not the Dalton interception. That was the snap over his head. That's right, the Billy, the Billy Price yeah. snap. Um, yeah, he worked to his right. So Mayfield sort of missed on the drive concept, missed, uh, missed fells in the middle of the field. Then he got out of the pocket to his right and hit him in the back right corner. So – I got. I kind of think that where Kirkpatrick was coming from with that comment is maybe they're in their meetings that day or whatever. They talked about they needed to contain him within the pocket and don't let him get out. And I don't know. Maybe he just. It's an uneducated opinion. I think it's pretty silly. Um, it'll probably prove to be asinine on Sunday, but we will see. Um, and 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 this is another question, kind of branching offense too, John. Browns didn't run the ball too effectively against the Bengals. The first first matchup, I didn't. Um, it kind of caught me by surprise, actually. Do you think in this rematch, having you know how well the Bengals know, uh, I'm trying to get a number here. The Browns only ran for 84 yards the first time. Do you think that the Browns need to, in in a winning fashion, if they're going to win, do you think they have to run for uh, many more than that, or do you think they can solely rely on Mayfield again? Oh, obviously it would be uh, it would be nice if they could you know put up a uh, you know put up 100 plus yards you know average you know four and a half a carry. Um, I think that they can. They, they can win the game without running the ball. Um, at least they can beat this team without running the ball, you know, exceptionally well. They, I don't want to see them in a position where, you know, they, they dump it quickly because it's not working. Although Kitchens doesn't, doesn't really seem to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my opinion, but this is a, this is a game that they, they can win without, you know, without an outstanding run game, but it would be nice to get it rolling again. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think that you you, you hit that one on the head. They they certainly with the number of deficiencies in Cincinnati's yeah. situation right now, I don't think that they're limited to any form or fashion. But but getting some sort of run game going so that they don't have to rely on all too much Baker creation or mm. uh, you know too much scheme deception such as sort of those funky draws they've been trying or things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. That that would be really nice. So uh, yeah, man, let's get to let's get to the, the the favorite part here. Let's do prediction time. What do you think a Browns win looks like, and what is your? And I'm not saying you have to pick a Browns win, but what does that uh, what does that prediction look like for you, buddy? Uh, myself, Browns win is going to look like um, Baker Mayfield another let's say three touchdowns. Um, more than anything, uh, Mixon hold him to less than four a carry. Um, he he's more than welcome to uh, you know as many rushes as he'd like. Hold him less to less than four a carry. Um, get a couple touchdowns early. Uh, Forts Driscoll to throw the ball, push it downfield. And, uh, you know, just squeeze them, give them different looks, you know, throw blitzes at them, um, you know, force them to go, uh, force them to go vertical, which he does not do well. Um, I'm going to go, see, I went 27 last week and it worked out pretty well. I think we both did, didn't we? Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to go 27. Now we're going to give him another touchdown. Let's go uh, 30. Let's go 34, 14. The good guys. <laughs> I was going to go 31, 14. The good guys. Okay. I'm right there, man. Nice. We're, we're thinking eye to eye on this. I do think I do think that this game means a lot to the Browns. Obviously, they're out of it. Um, I mean, they're not, you know, there's like a 1% chance with the whole sure. tie in Week 17 tie, thing. Two ties, yeah. Yeah, really funky. But uh, I think that there's, for, here's the vibe I get. They're, they're a group that is figuring out how to win. And, man, that is really fun. Like, when you figure out how to win in the NFL, and I shouldn't just say the NFL, any level, like, if you turn a program around in high school, or you go to a college program, and it gets turned. It, when you learn how to win, that's really fun. And I just see a team that wishes they had more than two games left because they're just having so much fun. And so, uh, you mix in Mayfield uh, calling. To, and I don't think he called out the fans, but he did, in a sense, say, "Hey, we need more support." They've sold out the building. Um, they're they're going to have a really loud environment. I think they really want to show out for the fans to end the year. And I think they genuinely hate the Bengals. Like every part of this team, and Hugh Jackson going there adds a little bit to it. But I just don't think they like Cincinnati, and they want to flip that script. So um, it could be seen as a, a air quotes trap game, but it doesn't feel like that to me. I see a hyper hyper focused group, and I'm with you. I think the Browns thoroughly control this game and dominate it, and end up coming out with something like a 31-13, 31-14. Um, type of win, and it'll be really refreshing for the Browns to. Uh, I'm not sure what they'd be five and two at home this year, um, something like that, right? Uh, yeah. Or would it be would six be and two? two? Shoot. Let's click on it, man. Well, they got, got links play, for yeah. a reason. Let me find this. God bless Google. While we're looking here, um, if you remember to going back to um, you know the the genuine dislike, um, I remember Pepper said something after the game about uh, you know all the Bengals players chirping at them, you know, saying you played for the Browns. So on, do you remember that comment? Mm-hmm. It was on um, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Just why are you talking? You played for the Browns, so on and so forth. Here, so yeah, maybe there is some genuine, uh, you know, some genuine discord, some genuine dislike. It always adds some spice to it. Oh yeah, I think that that I think Demarius Randall jumped in on that a little bit too. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that's good to see those guys standing up for each other. The Browns have four wins at home. This would be five, okay. so they would go five, two, five, two, and one, and one with the opener. Yeah, that'd be big. Yeah. Man. I mean, I remember putting out a tweet earlier this year where there were only something like since 1999, like 
like 20, 20 something wins at home. It was something stupid. Wow. It was, it was, I can't, um, and I'm doing this again real quick. Cause it was, it was, it was wild for the number of days. Um, how many Browns wins have happened at home? I don't, I can't find it. I'm, I'm not going to waste too much time, but it, it was, it was really wild. The Browns, maybe it was, it was more, it was probably in the forties. I can't remember, but it's 20 seasons. And it was like, you maybe saw one or two Browns home wins a year. And it was, it was just like, how many of those games have you been to in, in 2000, 3000 days, they've only won 40 games or something at home. How many, how many of those games? It is. And it's, it's crazy. So to see them sort of take what is, has been quote unquote, the factory of sadness, right. And, and shift it into a five win five, two and one home record would be very big for them. So there's excitement. The quarterback is changing things and, um, it's just a different feel, man. So it'll be really fun to watch. Yeah, so, agree. all right, buddy. I appreciate you coming on, John. Follow him, guys. All uh, at all twenty two chalk talk. I know you're already following him. If you're not, rectify it. I, 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 I will. I will come at you personally. Follow the man, learn <laughs> football. So, John, thanks for coming on, dude. Thanks for having me, Jake. All right, man. We'll be right back, guys. All right, guys. So as we close, a couple things I want to touch on. Um, first is I know we mentioned it with John just a moment ago, but I do want to shout out the fan base for you know responding to Mayfield's comment about hoping to fill up the stadium. It is it is a different vibe around the city. It is a different vibe due to this franchise quarterback the Browns seem to have uh, finally found themselves in the fortune of uh, bringing into the city. And Mayfield, I don't think it was a nefarious statement by any stretch when he was trying to get the stadium to be full. Um, some people took it that way. I hope they didn't. He was just trying to draw as much fan support as possible for what he believes is a big cultural turnaround in uh, First Energy Stadium. And like I said, it, to, to have the fans sell out that game, that means something to the team. It means something to the organization as they're fighting their butt off, um, you know, their butts off to get to uh, where we want them to be, which is a playoff team Sunday and, and responding to your to your quarterback asking to sell out the stadium and, and doing so is, uh, is it just speaks to what a great fan base the Cleveland Browns have. So um, shout out to the fans. Um, as we close, something I'm going to pay close attention to is at the end of the year, Nick Chubb getting to the 1,000-yard mark. He is he is not entirely far away from that. He has 860 yards on, this, on the season, so if he can over the last two games find a way to rush for 140, that would be nice uh, number for him to eclipse, especially having come into the to the primary running back role so late in the season, I think week six, week seven. So that would be a pretty nice accomplishment for the rookie running back. And then Baker Mayfield is chasing the rookie passing touchdown record uh, for a single season. He's chasing the uh, 26 number that Russell Wilson and Peyton Manning share. Uh, Mayfield sits at 21 touchdowns right now, so he would need, you know, obviously to find a way to get six touchdowns over his last two games. Wouldn't be crazy. He'd have to do a good amount of his damage against the Cincinnati defense and then uh, find some success against a really good Baltimore defense that's going to be fighting for the playoffs. So those are two fun offensive storylines to pay attention to as we as we head down the stretch and uh, welcome Hugh Jackson back and uh, into First Energy Stadium, and hopefully the Browns can take care of business. But just a reminder for the usual guys, if you can, uh, jump on to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Always appreciate seeing those from you guys. Those mean a lot to me. I mean a lot to the Blue Wire Network. Um, I think we're doing some really good things here and uh, giving you guys some variety in the Cleveland market. So I appreciate any and all of those reviews you guys can give. Uh, lastly, 
Check out the Browns YouTube channel if you can. We touched on Baker Mayfield and some of his struggles in Denver, and we touched on Jannard Avery's change post-Christian Kirksey injury, what he's asked to do in pass coverage and how that is looking for him. So those are on the Browns Film Breakdown YouTube channel, which would be awesome if you guys could subscribe to that as well. Uh, That's a wrap, though, for episode 14. Hopefully, like I said, my prediction comes to pass about 31-14 Browns over Bengals. It would be awesome. First Energy Stadium will be rocking. We can send out 2018 on a positive note. So thanks for joining, guys. As usual, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.